Welcome to the Rowing Revolution podcast with myself, Barney Williams, and Carlos Daenerys. The intention of these conversations is to inspire our community to take action. We trusted that if we were vulnerable and pure during every conversation, then someone from our community would reach out and ask to join us for a chat. Today, we welcome Andrea Prosky to the Rowing Revolution. Having had the opportunity to coach Andrea, I am certain that her story will be a call to action. She took her first strokes at age 27 and seven years later raced for Canada at the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. Carlos, are you ready? I was born ready. Andrea, are you ready? Ready, let's go. Andrea, what do you want to talk about today? Well, I think that rowing is such a beautiful sport in that it's inherently humble, right? It's not full of braggadocious people, despite the big things we do. Uh, and so sharing my story of how I got to the podium or even in the position to get to the podium uh, is something that I think would, might be a trailblazing and might speak to some other people. We'll see. Carlos, I don't know about you, but I knew that Andrea would bring her full self to this conversation. Uh, where do we want to start then? I, I want Andrea to, well, I want you to tell me. So you coach, you, you were one of her first coaches. Um, I heard also Rodledge, um, who I know. And uh, I want to hear, I want to go back to that moment and then we can go earlier later. But uh, Andrea, I want to, I want to hear from you, or Barney, like, so Barney has a moment of in time that is um, coaching you. You are at the beginnings when you start getting your first rowing. And I, I heard um, that. So Barney had to cut you was called that you have to be cut because you were too old. So I understand you start rowing at age 27. So that's quite, quite late. Um, for statistics, I guess. And uh, Barney is running a program that he can tell us, but, you know, I want to hear about that first. Uh, yeah. So, you know, age 27, I guess we can get into later why I started rowing, but I think where you're talking about is that those formative moments where I was just trying to make it into really understanding that this was something I truly and honestly wanted to do full time. And there weren't a lot of indicators that it was going to go well. I was falling out of the boat all the time. I fell out of the boat 10 strokes to the finish line on my very first regatta. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah. I was coming down. At, okay, let me set the stage. I'm flying down Burnaby Lake. Thank you. Flying. Flying. Like, rate 24, the water is on fire behind me. No <laughs> one has ever gone this fast before in my mind. And my whole family is there, and I can hear them cheering. They're like, yeah, Andrea, you're doing great. And I think... I am doing great. And at that moment, of course, what happens? You put the blade in wrong. You, the boat flips <laughs> over, 10 strokes to the finish line, and I'm in the water. The coach boat is coming. Barney has his stopwatch out. Leave her alone. She can do it herself. <laughs> My parents, everyone is there. I, meanwhile, am thinking, can I just swim across? Do I, need, <laughs> do I even need the boat? No one prepped me on this. So I think I pushed it out of the way. Hop back in because I did fall out a lot. So I'm, one thing I'm very good at is getting back in the single skull. Paddled across a couple of strokes, went home, cried. And I realized I had a moment there. I had a moment to decide, is this, do I just, can I deal with this? Am I just going to walk away? I have another race in two hours. Like, mm. do I want to even come back? How can I, how can I deal with the shame of this? I'd failed so spectacularly in front of everybody. Mm. And so I went to the dollar store and I picked up some bright pink water wings and I came back to my coach's meeting with John Westein and I got a laugh out of him. And then I went back and uh, did middling. God knows where I came in the race overall, but I decided that I wanted to keep going. Yeah. Carlos, that's a really, I think, healthy place for us to start. Um, and Andrea, I'd like to go a little bit deeper than that in terms of, you know, this falling in love with the sport. Forget the falling in the water part, but just what was it then that made all of this humiliation and, and shame bearable in terms of your love of it? What do you remember? When was the moment you were like, this is cool? 
there's so many things about rowing that I love. And a lot of them have nothing to do with the sport. Mm. It's the people you get to be surrounded with. It's running into failure time after time after time. And then one day realizing that that wall you've been running into has moved three feet and it's still hard and you're still failing, but you're making progress. I love the humility and, and, and the, the, the emotional intelligence of the people that I got to train with. I loved being outdoors. I liked mm. doing something that was fun, that was hard, that not a lot of other people had done. And it was really a way of completely reinventing myself and learning how to be an athlete at a very advanced uh, age. Yeah, yeah. Say. No, we're not going to call you old. <laughs> but um, so, Carlos, you teased out the question that I think, uh, you know, is a good entry point here in terms of this incredible story of resilience and grit and, and overcoming obstacles. Um, so, Andrea, just remember that moment. Uh, ben Rutledge had left for Russia. Mm-hmm. So your, your, your first coach had essentially um, moved on. Yeah. And I remember you calling me and saying, I'd like to come to Victoria. Yeah. And I told you, uh, I don't think that's going to be permissible. Yeah. Right. I, I told you I've spoken to uh, my leadership and, and they're just not feeling that this is a good use of resources. Mm-hmm. What do you remember about that? I remember the confidence in me that I was just going to get picked up by by your team um, and and feeling like the bottom fell out when there wasn't a spot for me there. Uh, quite frankly, stoked the fire. I decided I was going to then go ahead and beat every athlete that you could throw at me in all the successive races. Uh, but it really was the first point in my career where it shifted from you've been invited into this training environment to you're driving your training environment. And, and we'll touch on it a little bit later, but I rode for for different reasons throughout the years. Mm. I started to row because I wanted to turn myself into something different. I was stuck in my life, and we can get into that bit later. Then I was rowing because I wanted to prove to my friends and my family that this investment of time, this crazy idea to quit my job before I'd even set foot in a boat was worthwhile. Mm. Then I was rowing for my teammates and, and, and for others. But eventually at the Olympic final, I got to this beautiful place where I was rowing for myself and no one else. I wish I'd have been in that place for more of my career, but it was a process I needed to go through. So, so Andrea, like when I, when I listen at, so you, you are rowing in, in, at Burnaby with, with Ben as your coach, and then he goes to Russia and then you, and and then so you 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 know all of a sudden I mean you you left you you are 27 or 26 you decide you want to row you leave your job that we can talk later so you put you throw yourself in this program that is called row to podium row to the podium or something that is in Canada to they try to find elite uh, um, people who could be uh, successful at rowing and they it's like a fast track or something. And they you know, Carlos, some... Carlos, it's important here, actually, Andrew, I don't know if you remember, but the phrase that was uh, sort of the mission statement was to identify and develop Canada's next Olympic gold medalist. So that was the goal of the program. <laughs> that was the goal of the program. So exactly. So then Andrea is, is with Ben in Burnaby Lake and uh, the whoever is above you, Barney, that you are paid by the program as a coach and Ben, is, is looking at the metrics of who can be an Olympic champion because as the mother say, well, at 27 years, 27 years old, he's never going to be an Olympic champion because she's too old or, you know, it's, it's just, it, you, we don't see people starting at 27 and winning gold medals. So then when Ben leaves um, and, you know, they, whatever happens with the group there, you and I say, well, Barney is in Victoria and I want to join him. <laughs> and then, uh, and then you, you cannot have her on the group. Because I, they I think tell I kind you. of bullied my way over there, if, I, if I'm being completely honest. I remember showing up at Elk Lake one day with all the audacity of, you had said, if you're ever in Victoria, at least let us, you know, stop by and we'll see if we can get you in a boat. And so I, I came over and I stopped by and I knocked on your door at Elk Lake and I said, I'm here. <laughs> so, 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 Andrea, why, why, you, why you, do you think you are like that, that they, they tell you, Ben is gone. Uh, they Barney says, uh, and then Barney will tell us like why eventually um, he got to, you know, he decided to help you. I don't know how he helped. He can explain. But first, before Barney goes there, why why did you 
had that why you would really want it to do that because you know like if they don't want you yeah uh well many different reasons i guess this is where the deep dive in part comes in um i don't always know where that conviction came from it certainly was a lot of imposter syndrome um so i didn't feel like i was going to be ever make the national team let alone <laughs> Olympic champion that was so out of the cards for me but what I did promise myself and we'll get into this when I tell you a little bit more about how I got into rowing was that I was going to turn over every rock mm. that I was going to give myself the opportunity to cross a finish line realize I'd hit a plateau and go that's as fast as I can be and that that idea of just having your personal best turning over every stone until you realize that you've hit your ceiling is something that took us all the way to the Olympics. We so weren't racing why, for why, gold. So why you had that mindset of turning every rock? Like why you already came into rowing like with that mentality of I don't want to give like these people if they don't want me I'm gonna I'm gonna just go there to sit there they're gonna want me like I don't care I'm gonna beat them all I'm gonna show them they're wrong like why you have that that mindset? Because it was an adventure. <laughs> such an adventure you know I'm the daughter of a of a storyteller and an adventure and my mother is um so amazingly uh talented and 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 she's pulled herself out of poverty which I something I didn't realize until very recently she is a librarian she loves books she loves a good story this felt like a great story to me my father has traveled around the world lived on a sailboat in the south pacific Uh, overcame cancer when he was, you know, around 30 years old. There was a tumor wrapped around his spine that wow. they had to cut out. Dad never was able to run. And I never realized that that was something holding him back until very recently as an adult. He didn't let that define him. It was just part of the mosaic and the tapestry, and it didn't stop him from going on trips. And so You know, in that time leading up to being a hotel manager, the whole reason I was in hotels is because I loved adventure. I loved a good mm. story. I would travel with backpacks across the world. I worked at a cattle station in Australia herding cattle <laughs> on horseback because I thought it was fun. Mm. Why not? Life is short. And, you know, my, my father certainly demonstrated that. You never know when life is going to come at you sideways. Yeah. So why not? just go and have a good story and 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 pull out that thread see how deep the rabbit hole goes because then at the end of the day you never need to wonder what if and those mm. were my father's wise words to me when i called him expecting him to talk me out of this crazy idea of joining a sports i i was the type of person where if i went for a 30 minute run i was patting myself on the back you know <laughs> i was i was active andrea andrea so So Carlos and I talked about an athlete that showed up at Lake Samish mm -hmm. and Carlos said, you're out of shape. Yeah. Now, I don't know what Ben and I maybe said to you in the early stages, but you weren't even, you can't be out of shape if you've never been in shape. I mean, rounds of shape. <laughs> <laughs> no, but had you done any competitive sport? Uh, so I went to a fine arts school to get away from sport because at six foot one, everyone told me you should be a basketball player. I didn't want to do what everyone else told me to do. I wanted to do my own thing. So yes, I was active. I would do some runs. My mother is a marathon runner. Uh, the farthest I've ever gone was a half marathon. I lived in Whistler for three years and I got to snowboard there. So I loved being active. Mm. I loved because this was, this was a vehicle that would take me on adventures, right? But no, I've never done organized sport in my life. And I think, I remember Barney at one point in time, we were outside doing ball throws And you're like, come on, Andrew, just think back to like, what other, <laughs> what other ball sports have you done? And I was like, Barney, beer pong. That's it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, go, go ahead, Carlos. go ahead, bro. Yeah, so you are, so you are, um, so you show up at Burnaby, um, you know, Barney, they told him like, you know, you, in a, in a nice way, you know, we're not going to waste our money in, a, in an old lady that has a dream because this is business. And then what, Barney, what do you do, Barney? Well, Carlos, I, I can say now uh, with Andrea sitting right next to me that uh, she is stubborn. Um, <laughs> and, and so she suggested to me, you just tell me what you can do. I don't want to hear what you're not allowed to do. And so I had a chat with Ben. And Ben said, 
Barney, I saw her take 10 strokes that were better than any 10 strokes I've seen a single sculler take. Now that's again coming from Ben Rutledge, the Olympic champion, the person that has a very robust understanding of our sport. I put a lot of weight in what he said. And I simply said, well, therefore, let's focus on what I can do. And I think I remember saying to you, Andrew, if you can get yourself to Victoria and you can get yourself as a member of the Victoria City Rowing Club and your own equipment, then you can join in this crazy training group with Lindsay Jenerick mm -hmm. and Kale Van Bruggen and Ty Adams, a bunch of aspirational young people, mm -hmm. all feeding off of Lindsay. I mean, you must remember that as well as I do. Layla Belouche, yeah. a great group of people, aspirational mindsets. And, and in a sense, I said, you just meet us on the lake. Yeah. And four days later, four days, I had my blades in my car and my entire life packed into a vehicle and had quit my job. We were, the Pan Pacific Vancouver was amazing. They were so incredibly supportive of this whole dream. And uh, I showed up and I, I stayed at a house of someone said, oh, you can live with Patricia Obi. Of course, had no idea oh, wow. who Patricia Obi was or, or, um, or Will Crothers. Um, just got thrust into it, so landed on my feet, and, and then that, got that, to work. That, that's it, Carlos. That was that, again, absolute belief in my mind that the metrics, we talked about this urge don't float. You know, for me, that 10 strokes, that was it. And I don't know, Andrea, if you remember those 10 strokes? I, I don't know the 10 stroke he's talking about, but I remember you following me around Elk Lake saying, you just need to string 10 strokes together. Just do 10 and then do another 10 yeah. and then do another 10 and I'll get you down the course. And we would practice stretching those 10 strokes into 12, 13. So, so what I, what I'm hearing here, Barney, is that you, so, you know, um, and this is the thin line of how do you get, you know, to the end of the journey? I mean, at the end, Andrea, you said, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to give up or I don't want to have a, a, a challenge and not push and see what I can get. But you could see, you know, how at the end of the day, you need to drive your own journey. You, you know, the energy comes from you. Like if you didn't push to Barney, like you want to do that, you know, whatever tech strokes you do, they're not going to call you. So you were persistent. And then Barney, I guess he did his homework and he said, well, you know, if I need to go out of track here and I need to, you know, um, invite her, you know, in a in a kind of you know illegal way because you wouldn't accept it on the group, and he was being paid to do a job, but he wanted to 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 follow his instinct of 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 doing really what what was right. And then he talks to Ben, and Ben is telling him, "Listen, you know, my intuition tells me this this girl, she can be good. I mean, I seen I seen more than numbers. I seen something that is telling me deep in that she could be a very competitive rower." eventually if she did everything that needs to do and then you give her the chance to train with you and then uh, and then uh, i get I, I guess you know like it's amazing to me to to listen at that because i see so many people um you know that they get challenges because they get caught or um you know they get um told by the coach oh you know you you are doing that wrong or whatever and then they start um telling themselves they are not good enough and you know i can see you you know yeah you went to the olympics and you, you are fortunate that you won. Uh, many don't win or don't even go to the Olympics, but they work really hard. But but the funny thing is your journey hasn't been easy at all. Like you had a lot of cut at setbacks. Yes. And I mean, that wasn't the last time that Barney would, would uh, or the, the program would need to cut me. I mean, I was hit by a vehicle in 2016. Um, and the fallout from that is I was unable to compete at the nationals that year. Uh, which was a major benchmark as to whether or not I was going to stay in the program or not. And, you know, a member of, of, of Rowing Canada came to me the other day and apologized for cutting me <laughs> because, um, you know, it, it, it was business. But, you know, Barney uh, still let me hang around. Well, wait, wait, wait. Program, so, right? so unfortunately, uh, we've chosen, Carlos, uh, not to put any video behind these because we want people out running listening to these conversations <laughs> but there's dash cam video of the car crash Andrew I'm not yeah. gonna let you just say I got hit by a car yeah so I was biking home 
Um, I was I was at that point in my life where I was uh, my career rather where I was kind of middling in my opinion. I was I was making steps forward, but they weren't leaps and bounds anymore, and I was really struggling. I actually had two fractured ribs at the at the time, and I was just min missing benchmarks and really wondering what I got myself into here. Right, this is now about two and a half three years into my career, and I was biking home, and there was a six lane with a bike path across it. Uh, the first lane stopped. I went forward. The second lane slammed on their brakes, squeal of tires. I all, not, I didn't get hit. And I remember going, whew, <laughs> that could have been bad. And I pushed, looked, it was clear to the meridian, pushed forward, heard someone scream, watch out behind me. She hit me doing whatever the speed limit was, 60, through my carbon fiber frame got snapped threw me across the road. The left side of my body took the impact of the car. The right side of my body took the impact of the road. And I remember coming, not coming to, because I don't remember losing consciousness, although I certainly wasn't there, in the hospital and picking up my phone and calling Barney and saying, this is not the end. Because here I was, Carlos, I was in this moment where I had been looking for an out in a lot of ways. I was too stubborn to just wow. stop, but I was looking for an out. This is the perfect out. You can walk away from this, from sport now, and no one is going to blame you. Who would blame me? I got hit by a car. Olympic journey isn't for me. But there's this difference between failing and quitting. And in that moment, it felt like quitting. And obviously, I would need to listen to my doctors. And you don't want to push through something that your body can't. And I, I, I certainly would have those moments ahead with the concussion, the PTSD, anxiety, depression, all these new injuries that I never oh. dealt with before. But I wasn't done. And that was such a moment of reckoning. What do you want to do? Check in with the fire within and the fire was still burning. And I <laughs> showed up at the lake about five days later on crutches. And you looked at me and said, I appreciate your tenacity, but I don't think you're ready to get anywhere <laughs> near a boat right now. Um, so, you know, you know, probably what really solidified it um, again, it's so cool to have Ben's intuition, mm -hmm. but then I had to obviously form my own and, and others did too, didn't they? I mean, this is where there's many coaches that have been part of your journey and they've all at every level, a coach has to trust their gut. And of course, if the athlete doesn't trust their gut, it's really problematic because they don't present as confident, yeah. right? They present as kind of, um, you know, questioning or uncertain. Yeah. So you took care of that because I got a voicemail from the hospital. I mean, I'd love to have Robin, your fiance here, describe it. it. It was pure. It was, I will not be at training tomorrow, but I'm not done. And that was a great moment. And I mean, athletes are going to have those moments throughout their career where you stop and you decide. And, and I want to be clear. I think the strongest thing an athlete can do is not win a gold medal, but choose to walk away from sport. That takes incredible strength and, and, and conviction. And some of the best athletes I know have decided this isn't serving me in the way that I want. There's more to life than this. And mm. I'm going to go in another path. Uh, but for me, it, it, I didn't feel like I had figured out how fast I was yet. And I wanted to keep going. And that wasn't going, that wouldn't be the last time I'd have moments like that. So every single moment of those stop, pause, reflect was an opportunity to solidify how do I want to move forward. And to me, what, what's interesting about what you're saying is in all that you're alone. Because yeah, Barney's your coach. Uh, but you know, at the end, you're making the decision. Like, and this is the thing, you know, everybody talks about, you know, this kind of um, the frosting of, you know, winning races or the team effort or, you know, we, 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 you know, we train together. But, you know, in all these problems, I mean, even if you have your family, your coach and everything, you have this inner voice that is telling you, you know, you cannot do that. You're not going to make it and you're not going to get there, you're wasting your time, and then you need to fight that. We all have that voice, you know, We mm -hmm. that, that voice of, you know, what are you doing that? They are already telling you you're too old, like, you don't, you're not hitting the parameters. Uh, you, you, you just, you, you just are seeing, hearing that, that is, I'm not saying is, they're telling you in a bad way, but it's like you are trying to, 
a part of yourself is trying to justify yourself to just don't keep pushing because there is no rational to push because um, it's, it's just, you know, you're hitting all the parameters in the wrong way. So so I'm, I'm, I'm really fascinating by that because normally athletes, you know, they don't come to the sport as late and you come to the sport as late. So even he aggravates that. And, and also um, what I see here is that, you know, like you... You you not only like they want to cut you from the program the Barney's coaching, but then you have that accident, you know, out of the nowhere. You know, it could be another athlete with an injury, or you know, like he has like a back injury and needs to decide, do, do I do surgery or not? And that's a moment where he needs to say if that's surgery, I can keep rowing or not. And then, but if I don't do it, I don't keep rowing. And those are hard moments, and nobody talks about that. And you know, I'm I'm we're very uh, you know excited that you want to dig into that because um I feel like a lot of rowers out there are, 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 you know, training for the next, the future regattas or whatever they are there. And anything you can share that, you know, can say, listen, you know, I didn't have it easy. It wasn't like just, and just, you know, walking into the podium and then just getting my medal and going back home or, you know, and, and again, you know, a lot of good things have to happen to get the medal. It's not just up to you, but, um, but, but on the other hand, you need to get there. And if you don't get there, you're not going to experience that. So, so Andrea, like, um, when who is that recovery from the accident? Who is um who is her uh, Barney when she comes back to training? Uh, how did, she's 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 not doing well, or she's she's really struggling, or you see a lot of doubt, or you know, it was what, a really uh, tricky moment because time was ticking. I think that's where this um, metrics piece really was an issue. You know, it wasn't a case of a 17, 18 year old athlete where you would sit there and say, we have lots of time. Let's commit to a full recovery. So I was really struggling because I felt that in one level, and I remember this now very clearly, Andrea, I, I cared about you. I cared about your well-being. And like you said, there was a, a way out here. And, and, and I think it was you that convinced me because you had neurological issues, a, a massive concussion that was... Uh, presenting significant risk mm -hmm. for you to push your heart rate higher. I think, of course, the key here is what were you telling yourself? What was the, the self-talk that you made yourself sort of strong enough to just keep going? I think there are a lot of down moments in, in, in my career, those moments of failure, which now with the hindsight are failing forward. Um, it was really challenging. I think I think I worked out, it took about 18 months to physically get back to shape. Um, and that was because my brain was holding me back. I, I remember working with an occupational therapist just to remember five items when I went to the grocery store. I remember being in complete and utter, uh, uh, not in control of my emotions and lashing out at people or, or crying or showing up at weights and calling you just so upset. Why is everyone not here? Everyone's late for weights. And you go, Andrea, it's Tuesday. We do weights on Wednesday, right? Like just, wow. it, it, and I tried to push people away from me um, because I didn't feel worthy of it. I never dealt with depression or anxiety or PTSD. A squealing tires just sent me my entire body into shakes. I'd never dealt with that before. And I didn't like after having about two or three years of feeling stronger than I'd ever been emotionally and, and, and mentally and physically to be this, this week. I didn't like it. I didn't know how to work through it. And it was a long, long process one that I'm, I'm going to walk for the rest of my life. Uh, but it was really, yeah, it was really, really shitty. Um, what kept me going? That's a great question. I don't know if I know the answer to that other than it just felt like I had made this promise to myself to see this through. And I, I needed now to turn over all those stones. And right now the stone I needed to turn over was managing concussions and cortisone being injected to my spine and all of those other things. Yeah, I, Carlos, I think that's a really cool um, sort of description that Andrea is making, which is that she, I remember this now, was very vulnerable. And she said, these are all the problems I have. You know, it was never about trying to suggest there's no problems. I, I feel like you were, and you told me about the, the occupational therapist and that moment you talked about in terms of the grocery store. Mm -hmm. 
And I think at that moment, obviously, you can imagine it doesn't line up with the agenda of making a boat go fast. Absolutely. But the benefit that I had is, and, and Barney, you're just one of them. I had so many coaches that let me know that I was in the driver's seat. I was driving the bus and that there are resources to help me. And that I had a whole network that I just had to tap into. And that shifted it from being just part of this journey to driving the journey. Okay, what resources can I tap into? You know, uh, sat down there and I had my whole little, like every now and then, I wrote every- You were very good month. with spreadsheets love, and sticky notes. Love spreadsheets, love sticky notes, love color coordination. I'm here for it, especially because my brain is Swiss cheese these days. But I went down, I'd write down, okay, strength and conditioning. What are my, athlete would sit down and go, okay, I need to improve my 2K. All right, how can strength and conditioning help me? How can sports psychology help me, right? The goal wasn't to have a 2K. The goal was to just get back into a boat. Mm. But I had all these resources and, and people who were willing to help and tap into that. And it's a slow, like everything else, the path of success is not a straight line. There are twists and turns and steps backward. But in German, we have a saying about whoever wants to take a big leap first needs to take a step back. And that's really where I felt I was in that moment. So, so Andrea, so, so now you are like, you know, you, you, the, the thing that is fascinating to me is you, you have a total normal life, like, you know, and many humans, like, you know, you, I don't know if you went to college or not. Um, I guess you did. You, you start um, working in, in the hotel industry because you have that, uh, dream or uh, illusion of you know traveling and because of your parents and and you you and then you all of a sudden you decide you want to try rowing you leave your job and then you have all these kind of challenges on the beginning of rowing of course you love rowing because if not you won't keep pushing you know you want to see where you can go but you are getting fell in love with the sport so now you eventually make the national team correct like carlos carlos yeah? can, I, can i just go back i want to think about one thing that we know is kind of crazy when you talk about goals, right? So yeah, if you yeah. set a goal, sometimes there's that ability that you just keep pushing for that goal. And so the question I'm interested in, as Carlos is describing it, I'm asking myself, when did the goal to go to the Olympics kick in? Because I don't think it was with rowing, right? It was before that, that you'd set this goal up when this crazy day in Whistler yeah, so I mentioned earlier, I used to work in Whistler, and during 2010, we had the Winter Olympics. And I remember walking through the village stroll, and it didn't matter what time it was, it was 6 a.m. or 3 p.m., there's this, like, electricity that just crackled through the air, and people would burst out in spontaneous renditions of O Canada, and it was, it was so magical and so inspirational. And I remember seeing, you know, like, John Montgomery walking down the village stroll, and pounding back a, a you know um i think a jug of beer like it just like so much authentic celebration and i i remember going you know what one day i'm going to volunteer at one of these <laughs> <laughs> and i might have missed the mark a little bit but i i you did volunteer let's I be did. clear it's pretty much a volunteer <laughs> exercise in terms of your heart and your soul yeah. for the country i was yeah. always the person who would watch the opening ceremonies i love the olympics i don't think i ever 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 in my wildest dreams set out that i would want to go to the olympics but it was already it, that was the magic with it was spoke so much to the soul that when I was given the opportunity to join this talent identification program, specifically to go to the Olympics, that adventure and that story just sounded so good. I went, yeah, you know what? Let's let's see how far I can make it along this path. So, so Carlos, you were now then, I guess, I just wanted to have that underneath this because you said she's, uh, Andrea, going to the national team. Yeah, yeah, eventually. Um, and, and, and so there's this responsibility then to say, is that magical energy still sort of underneath the surface, like as you're going through and doing all of this rehab and then you get to the national team, there's, is it still that fascination? Is it that dream that's still there? Well, let me tell you this, every race I did, I, until I made the national team, I would have a maple leaf in my boat. Sometimes that was a pin. 
Sometimes it was a sticker. Sometimes it was an actual leaf. I remember my mom running down to my boat as I was launching in Burnaby for a race that I wasn't particularly excited about going, do you have your maple leaf? Wow. I brought you one. I would always have a maple leaf somewhere in the boat with me because I, there's no greater privilege than racing with a maple leaf mm. on. And we have this maple leaf ceremony, which hopefully everyone who's listening knows about. But if you get to race at the Olympics or the world championships, you have this maple leaf ceremony. And so you get this five cent vinyl decal that you get to put on your oars and you just feel like a million bucks. It is the most special thing. And I was so enamored with this idea of, of participating in something big like this, representing Canada on the world stage, uh, that by the time I got onto the national team and I got that first piece of kit with the maple leaf on, yeah, the magic was definitely there. Mm. Wow, that's that's you know, I mean, at the end, you you have to have your dreams and you have to have your 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 you know your your imagination because at the you know it's so so many setbacks and so many things that if you don't have these, these personal things you know that are talking in your in your head, I, I don't think you know you're gonna eventually find so many you know things that set you back that you're gonna stop or you're gonna find a, a reason to don't keep going because you know you know you don't know what the future is gonna bring. But my question will be, so when you, I have a, a question, you know, to me, I think it's very interesting that you, you are, I won't, I won't say the word mature, you, you have a totally different background than, every, you know, when you make the national team, you go from being an individual to being part of a group. Mm -hmm. and, and now that you didn't have a group in, in LA, but then um, LA was kind of, um, you know, a group that, you know, is, is kind of progressing and everything, but the national team is like a laser focused group of we're going to go to the Olympics or we're going to go to the world championships. You know, mm -hmm. this is the best rowers of Canada that are there to represent their country. And some are going to represent their country because that's the national team. So not everybody's going to go, but some are going to progress and you get to, to be part of that group. And, you know, eventually, I guess you, you arrive, you just, you know, get a little used to, you start taking the first strokes, but uh, when you get settled, there is two things that I'm really interested to hear about you. One is, how, how did you fit in the group when you had so many life experiences before rowing that they didn't? So now that they, you know, that they normally, the progression is you row, you go to college, and then you keep rowing, and then you eventually make the national team. You just come late, you have work, you have seen the world, you have... Um, you know, you have life experiences, so Roy, you, you can see it different than them. And the, the second question I have is, you know, you are self-motivated. You've done it in your own. You had all these resources, but you're the one who lift, who left lift yourself from the ground. So, you know, what is your experience now with these coaches that are telling you what you have to do, what you have always done it yourself? And you had never, you know, why, how you react to that Um coaching selection process or you know is it, it did work for you or not or how, you know that's i'm interested about the relationship with your teammates um at the beginning no you know maybe at, at the olympics or when you make the boat i'm just more about how do you feel as andrea human within that group and then with the coaches like now that they're kind of um being like this is what we do more than you know andrea this is what you can do and if you want to mm -hmm. do it you get better Yeah, I think that's where I was, uh, and I'll answer your second question first. I think that's where I was really well set up in understanding that part of an athlete's role is also to be coachable. Uh, and that I, I had some, I had coaches on the national team where their, their methods of motivation were not what spoke to me. Uh, but your role as an athlete is to be open to hearing new ways of doing things and then internalizing what works best for you as best as you can. So for example, I really had trouble with race preparation. I would look around the room and I would see other people getting angry and mad and, 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 you know, Barney, I think would, would probably put it, go, I'm going to go out there and step on their throats. Right. <laughs> I, would see, I would see other people who were, who were, uh, you know, getting ready in different ways and learning to figure out that what other people are doing to prep wasn't what's best for me. And then fitting that in within, say, a group warm up, right? If you're doing a group warm up, that's fantastic. 
do I need something extra before and after having that maturity? And, and maybe this answers your first question. I mean, maturity is definitely something that I hope my teammates would say I brought to the environment. Most people go through sport and on the other side, then learn how that sport relates to mm. business in the real world. I was seeing it the other way. I was seeing all these high performance standards that I wish that I had had in business and vice versa, bringing some of those standards into the training environment about communication, maturity. I think I was, I would, I hope that I fed less into the politics and the drama of it because I'd spent so much time in human resources and being a leader. Um, but sorry, can I just pause you for yeah. one sec? Cause I think to clarify the, uh, evidence to support your 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 narrative here you were elected the athlete rep I was yeah but you had the least experience probably of the entire group in terms of you had people that had been to Olympics before world championships um had been as college rowing and so you had the least experience but you were deemed to be arguably the best voice for the environment well and that's something that I think will be among the the accomplishments I feel most proud of because it went beyond how fast do I go in a straight line backwards I mean having the having the vote of my teammates that they trusted me to speak on their behalf and amplify their voices is something that I I I never took for granted Um, and it was a privilege to be part in a small way in an environment where you're right Carlos you are being told what to do it was really it was a really cool outlet for me to then go to sit at the table with RCA leadership and ask for what we need to create a better training environment. So that was kind of my sneaky way of <laughs> getting my voice in there. So they, they choose you the athlete of the, the, the voice of the group because they felt your strength or they felt like you you were um you were less you you just knew more what you guys needed and they say, wow. Andrea really feels like when I talk to her, you know, she really, you know, it's like she she knows what, you know, I don't know, because it's interesting is what Barney said, correct? Like the less experience, the less she's gone to regardless. And then the team agrees that you had the, the you know, you were the one who could really understand them and help them. I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be bold enough to say why they voted me in. Um, I think that's, that, that's something that maybe I'll, I'll ask one of them later. Um, but I felt an enormous responsibility um, to leave the, the training center better than when I found it with that position. Yeah, I, I, Carlos, I think you and I are both very uh, privileged to have Andrea here, right? I, I think we found that talking about someone else's story is very tricky. Um, but I'm going to speak on your behalf and say, I, I, I think people could see your strength. I, I think people could feel this sense of purpose and this sense of um, belief that I will turn over every stone. But what is so interesting here is Carlos said, you moved from being an individual. You were fighting for yourself. That was the only reason you were showing up at the lake was to get yourself into the training environment. And then the next chapter is this sense of somehow working with others. Yeah. And, and Carlos said, what is it like to now go in and have to work with other athletes? What was that like? A dream. Uh, I, I rode in the single for many years for the privilege of being in a group environment. I am an extrovert. I am really struggle with self-motivation. Um, I need people around me to hold accountable. And, and that was what our small group on Elk Lake was like. But now all of a sudden I was in an environment where I, it, it was, wasn't just about me. I had teammates relying on me, you know, whether or not I was in a seat going with them to, to, uh, whatever the regatta was, it was my my responsibility to help get them as fast as possible. I had this whole network of amazing, the best sports people in the world, support staff in the world who were helping me out. So in a lot of ways, as difficult as the training was and as grueling as we've all been to those days where you get home and you can't decide if you want to shower, eat or sleep first, as hard as that was, it made me so excited because <laughs> I wasn't just by myself mm. anymore. I had a, I had a family, I had a, a team around me. Um, and that's what I've been working for. Wow. No, no, that's, that's, that's amazing. So, so the, the, the did you feel that the, the rower, did, did you, I don't know, like if, if you, you, when you were in that environment, were you, were you thinking, 
looking back at your life and using experiences that could help you there? Or I'm just curious about that because the 99% of people are rowing at the Olympics. They've never done anything else than rowing. You know, it's, it's, it's 99%, not rowers of all sports. Yeah. So you, you are unique on the fact that you, you were in a hotel and then now you're, you know, with people that don't know anything else than rowing. You know, I'm just, I want to dig more into, you know, how, how were, I mean, maybe you were appreciating more all these resources than anyone because you know what is to don't have them and they take them for granted, correct? Because all they know is people holding them all the way along because they've been so successful from the beginning that they have all these things surrounding him, supporting them, that then all of a sudden, like, they don't know, you know, it's, it's just they become, um, you know, they, they're entitled and you didn't get it. You, you were like, it's like a... a a kid that never has shoes and is walking for 15 years of his life with no shoes. And all of a sudden they buy them a pair of shoes, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, obviously some uh, growing pains along the way, learning, learning how, what it means to be an athlete, learning the different types of pain that you can push through and which mm. pain you can't push through. I learned the hard way that fractured ribs are not something you should push through. That was after I had four of them. Um, wow. <laughs> but I, if we go back before, um, before I was a hotel manager, I was in a five-year-long relationship um, that I can now look back at and describe as abusive and uh, emotionally manipulating. And we're talking about telling me what to wear when I got home, have to put on makeup, not allowed to talk to that person. Uh, he'd show up outside of my door when I tried to break up with him. It was like, it was a, I got stalked essentially. Uh, it was really awful five years that I didn't realize until I got out of how toxic it was, despite the best intentions and interventions by friends and by family. Oh, to see your parent, your parents must have really <laughs> struggled with that because they, they sound like they support you yeah. and they, and they say it's your life to live. Yeah. But there's a moment where you just have to make the decision on your own. Yeah. And it took me about five years too long to figure out that that was not healthy. But the thing about being in a relationship like that is you don't see yourself as weak. You see yourself as strong. I'm the strong, I'm, I'm strong enough to help him get to where he wants because his life isn't going how he wants it to. But if I can just be strong enough to stand by his side, I can help him become right. So classic. I now look back on it and I know how toxic it was. And when I finally did come to that realization, rowing it away for me was to prove to myself that I am strong, that I can withstand, that I'm, 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 I am independent, that all these things that they, this person said about me wasn't true. Um, and so maybe, you know, if we go down to the core of what this was, um, I, think, I think at my heart, I'm an adventurer and a storyteller. I got that from my family. They are so amazingly supportive of me and I'm so lucky to have them. I know not everyone has a support structure like I had, um, but also kind of redefining myself. Rowing was a way to find a new self-identity that I desperately needed. And that's why I say my favorite things about rowing have nothing to do with the sport itself. It was because who I was able to grow myself into. Mm. And I really felt like I found myself through that journey. Um, and maybe getting a little bit philosophical there. <laughs> no, no, no. That I mean, listen, it's all about it's all about what you the growth that you develop as a human, correct? The 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 all the races and all the medals and all those things are store, you know, they're they're fine, but the growth that you generate and if, 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 you know, how amazing is that you are telling us that thanks to rowing, you really find yourself in the person you wanted to be and achieve those strengths that you wanted to prove yourself you had. And now, you know, past that journey and looking back at, you know, that abusive relationship, those setbacks, you are a totally different person, but you are a better person for yourself, like not for a resume or, you know, it doesn't matter. The, the only person that matters is you. Like I, I you know, it's, it's like you go home, you get into bed and you're thinking and you look at proud back, say, look at all I, I, I accomplished. I mean, and life is short and long at the same time, correct? Mm -hmm. It's short because anything can happen and it can be lost in any moment, but long that if you make the wrong decisions, you can be, you can be in a bad situation for a long time. And you decided to get out of that or you decided to just, you know, not be, you know, not complain and be, oh, you know, this is, 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm good in this relationship. No, you say in a moment, I need to get out of that. And then, and then you say, I need to find a new environment. And then when you're in that environment, you say, I need to find where I can get because I deserve, I owe it to myself. Mm -hmm. I, I'm going to keep pushing. And you know, that's why like to, to me and Barney, we're talking, I say, you know, we want to dig deep into Andrea because, you know, like the Olympics and the gold medal, that's the frosting. It's like the, <laughs> the frappuccino, correct? You go and you say, I want whipped cream or the frappuccino, but that's, that's not, yeah, that's not the growth you, at all in that. That's, you know, you know like, Carlos, you're, you're absolutely right in terms of what we did, Andrea, say at the beginning of this conversation is we want to inspire people to take action. Mm -hmm. And the number of times that you took action, I mean, maybe you're summarizing it as lift over stones, mm -hmm. which is an action, right? Mm -hmm. There's another, I mean, how many more of these can we go through? But there's a moment there that I think you cannot begin to prepare yourself for which was forget being cut from the road to podium program. You were cut from the national team. Yeah, I, are you talking about, <laughs> now it's happened a couple of times. So are you talking about when I was cut from the boat I qualified for the Olympics? Or are you talking about the time that I didn't make the world's team? No, I think it was that crazy um, winter where you had rode the, double to the fourth place finish at the world championships in 2019 mm -hmm. and that had secured the boat as we know in rowing it's not the athletes it mm -hmm. secured the boat for the 2020 olympics for canada mm -hmm. and then through that winter you had been training and obviously looking to secure that selection but if i memory serves me right you were cut mm -hmm. from that yeah. boat and by extension because you were a sculler you were cut from the team uh, the world that was the world fell out from under me. It really was. It was the hardest part of my entire career. And I can sit here and I can I can rage and I can say, you know, I don't feel like it was fair how everything was run. I mean, every rower listening to this knows that it doesn't matter what happens in training. It matters on a day of racing. And I lost my seat and the world fell out from under me. And I was told, or we were told, because there were a couple of us in, in the running, um, that whoever doesn't make it for the sculling team can go and sweep. Now, it seemed rather ridiculous that I would take that path because the majority of my, my training career has been... Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, 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 not that majority. <laughs> it, it, I'm pretty sure, because we talked about this once in a while, we were going to get the gang together on Elk Lake and row like a, a, an eight, yeah. just because you guys only sculled. Yeah. You've never taken a sweeping stroke. I, I've, I've been thrown into three seat and held on for dear life a few times. Okay. Um, I, I gotten into a, a double. I, I fundraised my way to go and train in England for a summer where I got into my first, um, my first pair. So I'd held a sweep or okay. before, but in no way was I proficient. And um, I remember calling some of my, my teammates in and Kristen Kitt, bless her, looked at me and goes, you know, you can do it, right? <laughs> it's like, can I? So let's give me a crash course. I have seven days before the Olympic training selection, seven days to learn how to sweep and a flight in between them. So I crash course, I was vulnerable. I asked as many different people for as many different tips as I possibly could. I turned into a sponge and I, I had another one of those moments. Do I want to stop or do I want to go, right? This is just like the water wings. This is just like the accident. This is just like being cut from my first world's team and deciding I was going to train through the summer anyways. I have another moment here to decide if I want to stop or go. Is this failure or is this quitting? And I realized that the greatest resource in a boat is not just technique, but your teammates. And I thought one thing I could tap into was them. I've been with them long enough. I, I like to think I know how they race. I like to think I know what motivates them. And I called on my teammates. And I'll never forget racing down for one of the side-by-side -side matrix pieces. This is do or die. And calling to my teammates in the four, I need you. I need you right now in this moment to take strokes for me. And when I saw my name <laughs> on that list and I made the, the Olympic selection team, man, 
that still that was bigger to me than winning gold at the Olympics. So 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 you you again you know that that vulnerability of uh, being cut from sculling. I, I think you know like looking back now, um, every time you have a setback, you have a it's like a flower that grows. It's like you you know if if everything will have been smooth and you don't have any of the setbacks, you go go to the Olympics, win the gold medal. And, um, and, you know, and it's, it's amazing. I look back and I listen at you and I said, setbacks, if, if you <laughs> overcome them, are like gifts of God. Because at the end of the day, life is hard. And life is going to bring you moments where you're going to struggle in mm -hmm. anything, in relationships, in health, or the people, you the people you love around you that have problems or work. And then, you know, what is going to let you overcome them is is all this kind of confidence and 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 believe in yourself that you can you can push through and and in your journey is amazing like what you have uh you have achieved by you know like you know overcoming that and and of course you know it's like you always need to you could have been caught many people that have overcome things like you and then they don't make the olympic team correct yeah. well, and i'm oh. very i'm very aware how much luck and fortune needs to be in a line to be across the finish line first at 10 a.m. on a Friday, eight years from now. I, I know how much luck is involved, but I also believe in creating your own opportunity. And, you know, my mother being, being a, a, a librarian and stories being such a huge part of my life, every now and then when something hard happened, I would be like, oh, it's just another chapter for the book. Mm -hmm. And you know what I did when I went to my journal when I was cut? is I wrote down and you go, well, you know what? In seven days, I'm going to make the sweet team. And then you know what? I'm going to make the eight. And then you know what? I'm going to win gold. And never my wildest dreams believing that that was possible. Thank God COVID happened, gave me a whole extra year to learn how to sweep because that is not as easy as everyone led me to believe. <laughs> Sweeping is very difficult to do, right? Um, Isn't that incredible? So mm -hmm. you sit there with this mindset, again, with this clarity of it's quitting or it's failing. Mm -hmm. And COVID comes along and for you ends up being a blessing. For you ends up being, and for your teammates, how unbelievable is it that they have someone who's looking at COVID as a blessing? Because yeah, everybody more, else more, who's been at more. this for 10 years is saying another year and you're going, yes, another year. Thank God, another year. Uh, Lisa Roman, huge shout out to her, who went down to um, Burnaby Lake again, back to Burnaby Lake, and rode around with me in a pair in circles. Bless her. She has the patience of a saint. But she she taught me how to row, oh. you know? And, and she invested her time and energy in me um, and gave me a footing so that I could, I could not just knock on the door when selection came around, but kick it down. And there's some fierce competition with the women in that group. There were a lot of people who could have sat in my seat. No, no, no. That's that's the beauty of the Olympics, correct? That nobody can say that it's not fierce competition because that's the ultimate, you know, for rowing, at least for us, you know? So you imagine at the national team and, you know, if you made a boat that eventually won a gold medal, so of course the competition, everybody wants to be sitting in that boat and it's going to be, it's going to be a huge battle. But amazing to me, you are... You are in seven days to to get selected to the national team or the Olympic team, and 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 you go in your journal and you write. You know when you are in a very vulnerable moment and you are doubting yourself because you are trying to figure out how to sweep and all that. But then there is a part of Andrea in part of your head that is like a, you know, like is is like a a machine and it writes. Not only I'm gonna make the team, but I'm gonna make the aid, and I'm gonna win a gold medal. So. You have, a, you know, a part of your brain, it, it was like laser focused on, you know, it's, it's like you really drove yourself to, you know, you, you said, I know in seven days everything can be gone, but I'm not done yet. I want to mm -hmm. do that and then I'm going to go there. And I think that's the thing that you believe always back in your brain in yourself. Because if you didn't believe in yourself, you won't be writing those things or telling you I'm going to do that, that and that. And I think, um, you know, and, and, and deep in, it shows you back, you know, that, you know, yeah, luck happens, but it's what you say. You, you open your opportunities. If you weren't fit or you weren't like, 
Barney wasn't coaching you at LA, you know, and you go, you don't go to Europe and, and, and race there and train all summer. So that gives you the chance maybe to prove yourself when you're back to make the national team. So it's always like, is that feeling Barney? Eh? It's like, you know, people are, are, are training and are fit and they ask him, you know, why are you doing that? And I say, just because I, I have to be ready. You're ready for what? I just have to be ready for life. You know, I cannot right. give up on myself because life can bring, you know, you have to be ready because opportunities are going to come and you, you, you prove it, you know, you, you didn't know where you were heading, but. Well, and I think, I, I think we, again, we're referencing COVID, Andrea, and we're sitting there and we're recognizing that people responded differently, mm-hmm. like not just rowers, society. Yeah. But it was this mindset of adapt and overcome, pivot and proceed, whatever the narrative was. Yeah. And I think you're looking now, I hope, back and realizing you instilled in your way as an eight, there's eight of you, but you instilled that energy and that certainty this was an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think I want to be very clear that during COVID, it was not easy. It wasn't an immediate pivot and I've got a laser focus as much as I would love to look back and say that. There's a huge amount of vulnerability there. We're trying to do something that's never been done. We're trying to create a world-class team over Zoom. Well, we're nowhere near to each other. And it was tough and the bottom fell out. But if you can, what we did work on is we fell back on creating communication and vulnerability airing those those voices to each other understanding that i'm not the only person going through this my teammate is really struggling as well and in that connection is the magic because now when we get back to the training center we're able to have those conversations those hard conversations because we've connected we've been vulnerable hey barney you relate to training today is everything okay hey andrea you're really grumpy today do you need food what's going on Mm. Right. We're able to have those conversations and course correct amongst ourselves because you're absolutely right. We're the ones driving the training environment. Carlos, I, I, Andrea said, how many times did you say at the start of the conversation? And we'll get to that. And we'll get to that. I don't know if we've gotten to all of those things. We have to get to one more thing. Okay. And that is 40 days before the Olympics. What happens? Uh, 40 days before the Olympics, a, pandemic was the least of our worries and uh as you can imagine not being an avid biker anymore um i wasn't part of the team but a group of women went out on a training ride all very strong all proficient rower uh riders and the worst happens um kasha one of the strongest girl on the boat uh takes her hand off the handles for just a split second and crashes with lisa and avalon crashing into her and while I'm I wasn't there to see it the description sounded horrific and here we are now women's eight all selected at our last training camp before we go and we have five girls left in the boat (laughs) so three three got into accident three got into an accident so so Lisa had um road rash from 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 temple to toe Avalon had a concussion and Kasha had, I believe, 56 stitches and a snapped collarbone. Holy cow. Would you believe me if I told you that all three of those women were in the boat? And this is a point where I need to talk about, and maybe we've gone over, over our time, <laughs> but this is such a worthwhile story. We sat with Michelle Darbel, our amazing coach, and we were vulnerable again. It felt like tripping at the finish line. It is really hard to see any way to even the start line right now. But we decided we were going to handle it like a gold medal team would. What would a gold medal team do? How, how are we turning over these, these stones? What's left? There's so much that's outside of our control. What's within it? And we went to see Becca Zimmerman, who at the time was not on the team. She wasn't a spare, but she could be in our boat with us because it was fairly clear that Kasha, meanwhile, I think had been told by a doctor, she wasn't going to row in a year, let alone 40 days, snapped collarbone. And we told Becca, we buy into you, but do you buy into us? I mean, the emotional whiplash I'm sure must be tough because you just, just missed out on the Olympic team and then have an opportunity to come back in, take so much vulnerability, knowing you might not be in the seat. 
And when Becca told us, I'm in, we changed from a team of nine women to a team of 10. And Becca is an Olympic champion in every single sense of the word to me. She, the boat was moving so well with her. Everything was going, going well. We fly over to Japan. Kasha's ro rocky montage training her butt off at home. She's had a steel plate put in. And days before the Olympics, Kasha flies over and Becca and Kasha race for their Olympic seat. And you think about the amount of trust that they put in us that we were gonna pull for each of them equally hard. And at, at the end of the day, it was up to them. Like the amount of trust that they put in us is, is overwhelming to me. And we went out there and we laid everything on the line for both of them and by the slimmest of margins, Kasha got her seat back and Becca came with us, you can't make this shit up, to the doors of the Olympic Village and walked us, watched us walk through without her. And that was, the most heartbreaking moment because I know we could have won gold with either of them in the seat. I know they could have won gold without me in the seat. Like we just believed in this thing that was bigger than ourselves, that we were bigger than the sum of our parts. And, you know, I, I, if I haven't said it enough, I mean, Becca to me is, will be forever an Olympic champion in my eyes because that, that was amazing what she did for us. Wow. So Carlos, we're, we're definitely nearing the finish line now. Um, and I am just so grateful for this exchange, you know, for this true commitment to saying it the way it is. And then in the only way we can then get across this finish line is, is leave no stone unturned. So Carlos, have you got anything left? Any fuel in the tank? You still got to burn here? I, you know, I have nothing else. I mean, I, I got emotional in that conversation, you know, like she, I got like, I mean, uh, Andrea, really, you, you got me deep here. Like I, I loved it. Um, every second of it. I, I don't, I mean, I could talk for hours with Andrea, you know, he's, but you know, I, I feel happy. I, I had an amazing chat with her and with you. And, and Andrea, I feel like we struck gold, <laughs> Obviously, pardon the pun, in, in terms of you having that last, um, obviously, story here. You know, forget the time. That story had to be told. Um, but in that last 100 meters, of course, there's that desire to empty the tank, to, to throw everything at it. Is there anything else you want to share? Yeah, I think uh, really part of sharing my story, I started by saying, you know, it's it's not about sitting here and going, you know, aren't I awesome? You know, it's about finding moments of connection and the advice I would give to anyone who's made it this far is that it's not about the decisions you make anytime I get to one of those moments it's not about what's right and what's wrong it's about am I going to be proud of how I handle this moment five years from now and if that's how you position yourself man there's no losing so the gold medal is 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 I don't know if Carlos's reference to frosting is appropriate but really is the proof yeah. It really is the icing on top. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well said. Uh, I think that's race complete. I, I think we're across the line. Um, I'm going to part with a very cool moment. We talk about this idea of becoming the best version of yourself. That's uh, all of our journeys. And I sent a, a couple of notes to you ahead of this. And I said we would go deep. Mm. Um, but I can have a very cool piece of evidence for you of the change here. I know you but I know you better now. And I don't know if I'll always refer back to this, but today for me, you're Andrea, you're Andrea. And um, I just am so grateful you reached out. You provided our community with a pure call to action. Um, we really wish you the very best in the next chapter of your life. Uh, there's more to come. Um, and, and with your fiance, Robin and your family, um, I'd just like to say on, on behalf of Carlos and I in our community, onwards and upwards, Andrea.